Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our reactions to the AP Top 25 Women's College Basketball Poll. So, Jalen, what is your first reaction to the AP Top 25 Poll? So, bro, you know I got to come out swinging because this is the best team in the country right now. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about the Louisville Cardinals, man. I mean, net ranked number one in the AP polls right now. Just picked up a, a clutch uh, win over Miami the other day, 79 to 76. Of course, Dana Evans in the bag still. <laughs> just like when I just like when my when I mentioned her on the Unsung Hoopers uh, episode. Walks out against Miami, gets 26 and five. Absolutely walking around with a different type of swag. Liz Dixon was another person who stepped up big. Shout out to Sis. I don't know if we're actually related or not, but I'm going to assume so for the means of this podcast. <laughs> she had 21 and nine in this game. And it was, it was really good to see. It's really good to see what this team is doing so far. Um, still undefeated on the season, 15 and 0 on the year. And they're getting really good play. From across the board, um, uh, obviously, one of the bigger names that pops up for this team is Olivia Cochran. Um, she's kind of the secondary option after Dana Evans. If you had to think of who's the next player on Louisville that makes them significantly dangerous, I think that Olivia is probably the uh, the one to think of. Uh, Liz Belogan's another one that has recently kind of started to come into stride, had 12 points against uh, Wake Forest in that two-point win um, in the game against Florida. Uh, in the game against Florida, she also walked out and had 14-5-4. and four. So this is a team that leans on Dana Evans, but they have a lot of group play. It's kind of a whoever is hot that night has the secondary score is just the one that they're going to help facilitate through. And it's one of those things that I think with Louisville, when you have a dominant scorer like Evans, you would think that this is a team that would get Evan-centric, basically, right? This is a team where you think she'd dribble the air out the basketball, essentially create for everybody in a way where everything goes through her, and that's simply it. But that's not the case. It kind of is one of those things where you could say normally what we would say, Ryan, in situations where we talk about team basketball as we say, Oh, if Dana Evans is off, the next person will step up. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. Dana Evans has not been off this entire season. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's just more so who's next up to who's next up to play. Uh, Haley Van Litt is another one who stepped up against Syracuse in the 67 to 54 win um, a, um, a couple of days ago, actually. So like. You know, you see how I'm naming all these other players on their team who. Yes, Dana Evans will be the leading scorer each night, but there's always a, a different secondary scorer that comes up the pipeline and assists in getting the team to where they need to go. So I think the fact that Louisville is this well-rounded, the fact that they can pass the baton on a nightly basis as to whoever the second option is, 
I think all of these things scream volumes to why they're the number one team in the country. And I think you throw on top of that the fact that they're a really, really good three-point shooting team, like a really good three-point shooting team. They shot almost 50% from three against Florida State. Now, granted, that was a blowout win, but it's the fact that they have the, the capability to go off like that from behind the arc that makes them even more scary <laughs> because nobody wants to mess with a barrage of three-point shots in, in this league. And I think that with Louisville probably doing it best or at least being one of the better three-point shooting teams in the country, it makes them a dangerous out. And again, that's probably why they're at the top of the polls. And I think it's interesting because with the success of the, from the play of uh, Dana Evans, you mentioned something interesting. There's always a second, there's always a different co-star each game. There's always a different player that steps up each game, whether it's Van Lith or Cochran or Dixon or Kiana Smith. There's always someone different. And I think that's what makes this team so good is that they have so many different scoring options. And especially because they're effective shooting from three, that's really one of the reasons why this team is so dangerous because they have multiple different scoring options and they can hit the ball from three and they, and they can shoot well from three. So I think that this team, this team could be a national championship contender if they continue to play like this. But I want to, I want to bring up a team who could possibly also be a national championship contender. And we've brought them up a couple of times on this podcast, the Maryland Terrapins. Maryland has the ability to maintain their top 10 ranking, even though they lost to Ohio state. It was a, it was a very close loss to Ohio state, but Maryland's been consistently making the top 10. And I think Maryland has a chance of becoming a top five team before the season ends. Ashley Owusu is averaging close to 19 points a game, six and a half rebounds and five and a half assists. Diamond Miller is averaging 17 points a game and six rebounds, and she's shooting 51% from the field, 34% from three. Katie Benson's averaging close to 16 points a game, and she's shooting over 50% from the field and from three. Chloe Bibby's averaging 14 points and seven rebounds. And Angel Reese, who's only played in four games this year, but she's averaging 13 points and seven rebounds. I think that Angel Reese is a significant part of this team. And I do feel like the team is carrying the load right now. I think that there's multiple different players that are scoring for them. There's multiple different players that are getting it done on both sides of the floor for Maryland. And that's what's making this team so good. But I feel like this team is going to become unstoppable when Angel Reese comes back. Yeah. And I think that's the wild card because like you said beforehand, um, has only played four games this season. And that goes to show you that, I mean, this team is just so scary that they can lose a player like that and still, you know, be one of the better teams in the country and score at the rate that they've been able to. But I think this is something interesting to touch on because, you know, we had Brooks on about the whole Maryland basketball scene thing. And we asked him, or you, you made it very apparent that you wanted to talk about the WNBA prospect ability of some of these players. And I think, it's kind of scary, but like all of them are playing their way into like the mix. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where like even Mimi Collins in the win over Wisconsin had 13 and 17. Like, 
like what? <laughs> Talk about rebound. I mean, the next closest person behind her was Awusu and Bibby tied with six. If you combine their rebounds, they didn't have as many as she did. Like, obviously, Owusu is one that Brooks brought up as the other probably next best potential prospect next to Miller um, on this team. Um, I think that, you know, Katie Benson is another one that's like slowly starting to like really get the reps in. Uh, she had 12 points against Wisconsin in that game. But then you go over to the Ohio State game and it and it's I mean, it's tw- 22 points and seven, seven rebounds like. Okay, so you're telling me that when the stakes get higher, <laughs> you actually raise your level of play when your leading scorer in Miller only drops 10 points, Benzin and Owusu combined for 55, and you only lose by two points in a game where your best player is off. And you're playing against an Ohio State team that's no slouch either with the fact that they have two legit players in their own and J.C. Sheldon um, and Madison Green. So, (laughs) hey, man, this is one of those teams that leaves me speechless. Maybe it's because of the fact that we actually have a legit Maryland team because out of the two Maryland squads, the Terrapins are only sending out one real big dub right now, and it is the women's squad. But, I mean, Lord, man, they they have a lot of – talent on the offensive side of the ball and I mean you throw out the fact that they're also playing relatively well on the defensive side as well I mean they held Purdue, Purdue to less than 50 um outside of that obviously there's been a couple of games here and there where they've been floating around basically 85 to 90 points but <laughs> in the Big Ten bro it's it's a lot of shootouts going on in here so I'm not significantly surprised I think keeping a team under 80 is a significant way to win a ball game and so far, they've been able to do that at a relatively well clip. It looks like most of the time when they hold the team below 80, they win. <laughs> Sounds like the mark in the Big Ten for me. So they're, they're setting the mark pretty good uh, so far. And I think that Maryland has a great chance. And that's why I brought them up earlier when I was talking about another contender for the national championship, because I believe Maryland this year has a great chance of winning the national championship. What is your second reaction to the AP top 25 poll? So mine is Mississippi state. And this is like one of those that's like, it's one of those where you wonder, you have to look at it and say, which version of this team are we going to get down the stretch? Because obviously against, you know, non-conference competition, let's start at the beginning. I'll go through, the the season from the beginning and moved through Jackson State blowout win New Orleans blowout win first sign of adversity play South Florida lose by four points close loss but nonetheless I mean South Florida was is ranked number 13 in the country right now makes sense big win over Troy (laughs) big win over Southern U big win over Central Arizona significant win over Georgia Seven point win over Georgia, 69 to 62. But then you lose by six points to Kentucky in OT, which that game was actually pretty thrilling. If you go back and watch it, it was actually a really good game. 12 point win over Florida, four point win over Mississippi, 12 point loss to Alabama, who's unranked. 
And then 18-point loss to Texas A&M. So, like, my – so, like, okay, let's go through, right? You see the teeter-tottering. So, it's one of those things. They've been a team that, like, wasn't in the AP poll, exploded into the AP poll, and then is slowly starting to drop down. I think they've been as high as somewhere between, like, 19 or 20 so far this season in terms of their bump up. But now they're at 21, which is not a significant drop off. But I think the Texas A&M loss uh, definitely probably hurt. But the question just is within the within the SEC, right? Who is Mississippi State? Like which version of them are they? Are they the team that gets whooped on by big boys like Texas A&M within conference play? You know, the same team that lost to Kentucky in conference play. Was Georgia was the win over Georgia a fluke? Like that's that's my question for them is simply when they faced some of these big boy ranked teams, like I said, they had South Florida early, lost it, ranked team. They get Georgia. That's that's the good win. That's the good win of the season. That's the significant win of the season. You get Kentucky, lose it. You get Texas A&M, you lose it. The Alabama loss, I think, is actually kind of significant as well. So the question is, can Mississippi State hang with ranked competition? Because, look, if they can't, they're in trouble. They play South Carolina next, fourth in the nation. They play Tennessee after that, 20th in the nation. They play Arkansas after that, 19th in the nation. Like, your next, your next three games are against ranked competition. Like your base, if you, if they're not going to be able to step up against ranked competition, they'll be out of the top 25 by the end of tomorrow. They won't even make it through next week to get a chance at Tennessee or Arkansas before they're out of the top 25. Because honestly, they won't have any significant wins, really. You know what I mean? Outside of that Georgia win, and that's starting to look more like a blip rather than a trend. I think the real trend is that they don't step up against high-level competition. And then the SEC can't really afford to do that when you have so many ranked teams that are out here, you know, playing really well, playing really good basketball towards the closing parts of the season as we head into the, you know, conference tournaments and such. My team and my second reaction is about Oregon and Oregon's 11 and three this year. And this team is a contender in the PAC 12. They have three double digit scores this season with Tahina Papau, Aaron Boley and Nair and Nayara Sabali, who are all averaging 11 points a game. This team is getting it done on both sides of the floor. And they have 10 games this season where Oregon has held their opponents to under 60 points a game. And their only losses this year have come to top 10 programs, number five, UCLA, number six, Stanford, number 10, Arizona. But most importantly, they kept it close with UCLA and, and Stanford. So I think that Oregon, they, ha- they have a chance to really make a run in the tournament. And I think this program, this program is legit, especially with the success that they've had this season on both sides of the, on both sides of the floor. Like I mentioned, holding their opponents to under 60 points a game a lot this season. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's just going to heavily rely on the team effort 
of, of all the players and on defense as well, being able to hold all their opponents, opponents this season to under 60 points a game. And I think I think the biggest thing is Oregon has a lot of get back games, right? They they, they get to get back UCLA, they get to get back Stanford, uh, they get to get back Arizona. Like I think that's the good part about the closing portion of their season is that they're ranked 11th, 11th in the country right now with those kinds of losses, granted good losses, so to speak, right against like legit competition within the conference, but they get to see them again. And the get back games are going to be what sets the bar for them going into the Pac-12 tournament. So I think that specifically, um, again, they get Arizona on the 8th of February, but I think the back-to-back stretch of getting Stanford and then UCLA as back-to-back games, I think that will be a legit, you know, get back week for them where they can teach us. I think the game against Arizona will tell us a lot, but I think those two back-to-back games against Stanford and UCLA will tell us a lot about where they really stand in, um, in the Pac-12 overall, because, you know, we were just talking about how, you know, things were when I was talking about Mississippi State and how packed the SEC is in terms of ranked competition. Pac- the Pac-12 is not that far behind, you know what I mean? Um, the SEC still has the bar set pretty high. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that much. But the Pac-12 is not very behind. And I think that's the main thing to touch on is that. Um, I think with this Oregon team, I think what you said was a perfect way to focus on it is this is a very defense oriented team. Hell, California, 41 points. That, that's a conference opponent in the game against Arizona, 10th ranked team in the country, scored 57. Like if you mean to tell me when you play Oregon, you got to score 60 to win. I mean, Lord, like golly that you're going to, you're going to have a rough time because they haven't really let anybody score 60 all year, like you said before. So as a defensive-oriented team, a different flavor to the, a lot of the teams that we've named so far, because we've named a lot of bucket getters, a lot of high-volume scores, a lot of team scores, and Oregon is that. But they're the team that relies heavily on their defense, and I think that's one of those things that's going to get them through this stretch where they get to get a couple of those get-back games. It's going to be really important that they show up in those games because – I don't think they can afford to lose against some of these teams a second time if they plan on going into the Pac-12 tournament and, you know, the NCAA tournament in general with any kind of real momentum. And you mentioned that they have a chance to rebound against the teams that they lost to UCLA, Stanford, Arizona. I feel like the magic number for them is 60 because if they can hold their opponents under 60 games, Oregon's going to win. And especially with how great their defense has been playing so far, this is going to be a tough team, especially if they ride the momentum into the top 10. Like this could, this could be a top 10 team by the end of the season. Jalen, what is your third reaction to the AP top 25 poll? So, okay, bro. So this is one of those that's more like player centered, but I started looking around at some of these ladies and trying to figure out who else did I want to touch on? Is there any names that I wanted to touch on specifically? Um, So I'm going to go with my home state, Georgia, but there's a player in particular on Georgia that stands out to me in a way that I think you might find extremely interesting. So Jenna Stardy, center for Georgia, is averaging 14.7 points per game, 7.9 rebounds, um, 
under one assist per game. Um, and so far this year, she's only had what two games with less than 15 points in the game? Two. Two. And so far this season in particular, when we look at the shooting splits, it's not that great. You know what I mean? It's 28.6% from three-point line right now. Um, from the free throw line, things are pretty uh, from pretty decent. But here's my thing, right? So I'm going to go to somewhere that I find extremely important in terms of her overall scoring ability this year. So 20, so I apologize, it's 22% actually from three-point land this year, but 51% from the floor. So this is the definition of a Brittany Griner inside game level big. Not the same kind of height by any by any stretch at the center position, but that level of, of play at the center position, not trying to be a stretch big. This is not a Emma Miesemann type player, despite being at that 6'4 height. But what was it that stood out to me was, Ryan, she's a Maryland transfer. She transferred from Maryland to play for the Georgia Bulldogs. Why did that stand out to me, though? We just talked about them a little bit earlier because you brought them up. And we talked about how significantly um, reliable it is that they're able to score in all facets of the game, right? The fact that they're able to go through and have, you know, Diamond Miller have an off game, but have other players step up around and that they can score at a significantly high volume. And that got me to thinking, what if they had Jenna Stidey on this team as well and she never transferred considering the jump that she's taken this season? Man, oh, man, look, I'm not trying to give Maryland any more weapons than they already have. But that is just really significant I feel, uh, to me. I felt like it was something really interesting to touch on. And like I said, I was looking at Georgia and they're a team that's similar to Mississippi State, I think is still in search of an identity. But I think Jenna Stidey is one of their uh, really bright standouts on that team. And I just found it really interesting that when I looked into her, that not only is she a standout, for the team in terms of what she does for them production wise, but she's a standout to us because she's a former product of one of the teams that we like so much. And that's the Maryland women's basketball team. And that's the most interesting thing about it because she was a transfer from Maryland, which is, which is a great basketball program. And she went to Georgia where she's thriving there. And that kind of begs the question, what would have happened if she stayed at Maryland with this team? And especially with the type of performances that she's put on this year against Arkansas, 20 points and five blocks a game against South Carolina, 15 points and nine rebounds, 16 points against Mississippi, 17 points against Florida, 13 points against Auburn, 17 points again against Mississippi state, but a lot of double digit performances, 21 points against Georgia tech. These are great performances these are standout performances and i feel like this this make this is sort of making a case for her to go to the wnba she's making her case to possibly be a wnba prospect and i think that this is this is a good season that she's having so far i would say a great season that she's having so far
But I want to talk about another WNBA potential prospect, and she comes from Michigan. Nas Hillman. (laughs) Averaging 26 points per game and 12 rebounds and just under a steal and a block per game. Now, Jalen's laughing because I had kind of teased the idea that I was picking a, a player from Michigan. But I didn't tell him who. There's a reason why I chose Nas Hillman. She's shooting just under 64% from the field. Nine double-digit scoring games. Seven double-doubles. But two games that really stand out to me. There's really only two games. I think you know which ones are I think you know which ones I'm talking about, Jalen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the game against Nebraska. She put up 35 points and 22 rebounds. But it gets better. It gets better. In a game against Ohio State, 50 points. You heard me correct. 50 points and 16 rebounds. These are amazing numbers, Jalen. Are we going to hear her name on WNBA draft night? Bro, we better. Oh my gosh. Like what dude, you just read off everything. The the funny part about that, the, the funny part about what you just said is that ironically enough, the 50-point game was the one where they got the first loss of the season. Like, like what the, what in the world? Like, and they lost by four. Like they like it was a two-possession game in a game where she went bonkers, like ballistic. Now, the part about this that's interesting is that obviously, you know, in that game, Michigan had only two players who scored in double figures, uh, obviously Hillman, but also uh, Akeen Ray Johnson, who had 14 points, six, uh, six rebounds, five assists in that game. Makes a lot of sense when Hillman goes for 50 points. <laughs> Not going to have a lot of other double-digit scores. Versus Ohio State, who had five double-digit scores, with, of course, the main person at the helm being J.C. Sheldon, who had 20 points, five rebounds. So... I don't know why we wouldn't hear Hillman's name. I'll be honest with you. That's like flamethrower level scoring. And I think anybody who can get 50 in a game in a WNBA game against ranked competition in a game that also involves a team that is in your conference is not playing. Like she's not playing. Am I arguing that she's like top three? No, I don't. I'm not necessarily sure. That's a, a WNBA draft prospect breakdown is definitely something that will be coming soon on this podcast but right now i cannot say whether or not she is or isn't but a legitimate wnba pick in general oh for sure oh oh for certain the thing was when you hinted at the fact that there was a player in particular for michigan that you wanted to talk about i instantly knew who you were talking about because of the 50 point game and see, the thing was, when I actually looked into Michigan myself to prep for the podcast, I thought, ain't no way she doing this like all year. This must have just been some like crazy stuff where she like popped off against Ohio State and it was just like, oh, let's come up stupid. No, no, just walking around averaging at least somewhere between 15 to 25 points per game. And just really is just like gunslinging it, shooting extremely efficient from the floor and 
scaring the crap out of Big Ten teams. So, like, Ohio State was their first loss of the season. I think they're going to get their get back against Ohio State later on in the year. They play them again on February 21st. If she drops 50 again, she's going number one. I don't care. I'm going to just put her there, honestly. No, but in all seriousness, I think they have a chance to legitimately run the table. The next two teams that are really in their in their way moving forward is, of course, Ohio State again and Indiana. Um, they get the uh, they get both of those teams back to back. I think if they can come out of that at least one and one, I think they run the table uh, outside of that. And I think this is at worst a two loss team. I don't think they're going to lose against both of those teams, whether they get it back against Ohio State and lose to Indiana or lose to Indiana, uh, uh, beat Indiana uh, and Ohio State. They kind of dropped the ball again. So I think that'll be their only real roadblock moving forward and i think that they look really good right now in the big 10 and hillman we got an episode with your name written on it somewhere when we do this WNBA uh prospect breakdown stuff because you're somewhere in there we're gonna figure out where but lord it's it's somewhere right don't get it twisted she's she needs to she needs to declare i'll declare for her shoot i will say that to close out the podcast i think that Nas Hillman and Jenna Stady are going in the first round in the WNBA draft. On that note, transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what is your reaction to the AP top 25 women's college basketball poll? This has been a great episode today on hoop talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.